Welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast, where we share knowledge, philosophies, wisdom, and insight to help you on your journey in both sport and life. Introducing your host, Rob Riles. Hello and welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast. Welcome along. It's Rob Riles, as always, welcoming you to another episode. Now today, I'm really excited. I'm really fortunate. I'm with the company of somebody that... um, I'm going to introduce you to very quickly because I want to get as much information out of him as we can. It's somebody that when I was growing up and developed the love of the game, he was part of the team that I used to watch and and develop the love of the game through that. He's somebody who's a rarity in today's world who devoted the vast, vast majority of his playing career, 450 games or around there, to one club. 493, was it, mate? Um, It a rarity mainly with his hometown club um, where he remains um, an established legend um, still um, on the local media and then unusually for somebody with such a playing career went on and joined the esteemed 1000 club for managers who've coached managed at the top level with um, over a thousand games so I'd like to welcome you to leader manager coach Dennis Smith hi Dennis hi Rob, I'm looking forward to it. Well, first of all, thanks very much for, for taking the time. Um, you're just an absolutely perfect guest for the, for the podcast, Dennis, because of your playing and, and your coaching. And I'd like to try and maximise this time and, and do a little bit about your playing career to help players and about your coaching career, management career to help young coaches. So I have had the fortune of reading your book Um and I've just been through it again recently. And just let's start with the playing side. And one of the things that that, that stands out for me that, that is a real lesson for young players is that you seem to have this absolute undying relish of a challenge. It was like, I know that your fellow professionals labelled you as the hardest man in football and, and anybody who knows the game from the 70s and 80s will, will know that. But to come from your fellow professionals, not just supporters, I think that's a massive accolade. But behind that, Dennis, behind the stories and the media and the people who paint the bright pictures is this undying relish of a challenge that seems to come through in in your book. And I think that's one of the things that, that is such a lesson for people. Yes, I mean, I from the age of nine, ten, I decided I was going to be a professional footballer. Yeah. So... That is unusual. I mean, my headmaster um, at the junior school was most upset because I refused at 11 to take the 11 plus because I wanted to play football at London High School. Didn't play football, they only played rugby. And I said, no, I want to play football. So then I'd made that decision. And he wasn't very happy because I think they get extra marks for getting kids into the high school. And and I was the head boy there, but I was determined to be a, a player, I didn't realise I was going to have such a difficult journey to carry on to get there. But I, you know, I just didn't love. I love playing, yeah. so I made it. De- yeah. I was obviously stubborn. I was one of seven, so I knew how to look after myself. Yeah, and uh, I was determined to to follow my dream. Now that's one thing. Just before we came on, we were talking about what it takes and. So at nine or ten, you made life-changing decisions because they are life-changing decisions to go to 
a specific place of education because you wanted to play football. So there's somebody who's, who's actually making real, real decisions about that. And then as you go on, I what had to convince my parents? I mean, they yeah, weren't over keen. But. So you'd already decided. So, and I, I, do you think, Dennis, that that any life in professional sport, whether it's football or swimming or Olympics or, or whatever it is, is whether it's that kind of educational decision, you've got to have that prioritisation of, of, of what you're doing. I think you, you need the drive and the love and the want. You can't always have what you want in life, but you've got to try and achieve what you want in life. And I think there's a difference there. You know, it's all right saying, I want to do this. Yeah, but then are you prepared for the do. sacrifices? Yeah. And the sacrifices, contrary to what people believe about professional football, are a lot. You know, the, the amount of work you put in, the attitude you have to have, the drive you have to put in, the turning up, the work, constantly getting over the disappointments, people telling you you're not good enough and you can't do this and you can't. And then you've got to say, okay, you telling me what I can't do, what can I do about that? And what about telling me what I'm good at yeah. as well? So there's... So from an outside point of view, anybody who knows the club or we'll see, right, Dennis Smith, captain of Stoke City, lifted a major trophy, hundreds of games. But in your book, you talk about, and this surprised me, the time when you were 18, I think you were 18, you started to break into the side or you were just trying to get into there, you're playing for the reserves. And, and you say in your book that Wado, Tony Waddington, you didn't think he fancied you or, or he didn't. No, he didn't. And you act. So, and I think that's a massive surprise to, to, to a lot of people because everybody will have thought, you know, Danny Smith doing well in the reserves, destined for this, destined for that. So that would have been a, a massive adversity for you at that point, yeah? Oh, I think that, you know, I was playing in the reserves, but I, actually I was I was still working, I'd work in a stone lotus and I'm earning decent money at that time, yeah. 20 quid a week. Yeah. But I went to see Tony Waddington and said, look, I'm in the reserves. Some of the lads who you've got on contracts can't get in my place. You know, give me a contract. And he's going, oh, I think there might be a place in the game for a player like you. I'm thinking, thanks very much for that. I'm yeah. saying, well, you've got a choice. You either give me a contract or I'm leaving. I'm going to go, crew were interested, Shrewsbury were interested, Lure. I said, but I think I'm, I'm good enough. He says, well, I can't afford to you know, pay. Mm. I said, well, you know, what can you afford? He says, 12 quid a week. Obviously knew I was on 20 quid a week, so he was obviously thinking I wouldn't take it. I said, done. I made the... I was quite happy to take the drop in salary. To do what you wanted. To do what I want to do in life. Mm. And there's not, not everybody will do that, Dennis. Yeah. No, I, I, was, I was going to play football for a living. That's yeah. better than working for a living, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and so I had, I pushed him to that. And fortunately, I think his attitude, well, his attitude's obviously changed later because Ajax tried to sign me. Man United tried to sign me. Brian Clough was on the phone more to my wife, Kate, than I was. <laughs> yeah, you'd be worried if it was anybody else. Yeah, yeah. Constantly trying to get me to, to go to Forest. And uh, in Leeds, made a world record bid for, for me. So, uh, And he wouldn't sell me to any of them. So yeah. in the end, I think I'd convinced... You, you proved yourself. I proved one. myself to Tony that I was worth keeping. 
and then just tell us a little bit about so you break into the team and again in your book you tell you talk about that penalty you give a penalty away early on and then you played Ipswich and then apparently you gave two <laughs> two penalties away and, and you're almost in tears on the way home and you're thinking can I get over this have I done too much is it all over is that is that kind of how you well, were was, feeling yeah, I was on the train coming back with sitting with Alan Blur it was you know it was a lad who was born in the mayor just down the road from me but you know four or five years older and yeah. he was he was good for me Blue and he uh, but I'd sit there and I'm saying that's it that's me finished now isn't it and he's gone no keep going and I've gone yeah alright what can I and I started talking about the game what I'd done wrong what can I improve yeah. on work I, I was young and impulsive I wanted to prove a point yeah, so I've made challenges I mean my first game was Arsenal away yeah, yeah. and I'm screaming from to not free kicks and corners into me and people like Frank McClintock are looking around thinking who's this? Who's this kid? Yeah, yeah. Who's he think he is? Yeah. Who's he think he is? Yeah. I soon found out it wasn't that easy but, yeah, yeah. but I, I believed in myself and I continued to believe in myself and but you've got to prove you, you've still got to and so I kept working kept trying to improve and improve and I spent hours. I would always be one of the last out on the training ground when I was having problems with, say, when Peter Shelton came and we were having problems with through balls, judging when he was coming and when I would take him out, and Peter was a fanatic anyway, but take him out and say, look, we need to work on this. And you, you've got to get all the detail. You know, it's not just going, I'm going out and have a game of football, which is great. You've, you've got to work at it. it yeah. it's, it's a job and a, an highly pressurised job, but one that, you know, you, if you can get what in there doing it, work as hard as you can to stay because it's better than working yeah. for a living. Yeah. So even when you were playing, I mean, you talk a lot in your book about the differences between obviously Banksy and, and Schultz and the way they played and, and, and you know, you write eloquently about that. But even at that time, when you had to adjust to a different goalkeeper, you know, we're not talking better or worse, we're just talking about your role here. here. You had to still stay behind in the afternoons and get get work done to deal with the fact, even though you've got England's number one behind you, you've still got to work on might working have been together. My problem. Might have, it was yeah. our problem. Yeah, yeah. So we deal with it. Yeah. yeah, you don't just sweep it under the carpet. It's a problem we've got. I'm not relating to knowing when he's coming for crosses or when he's coming for through balls. We've got to work on it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I fair play to Peter, he wanted yeah. to do it. I, I had a telepathic understanding with, with Gordon. Didn't get quite get there with Peter. But, you know, I did with Roger Jones. You know, he, different players gel differently together. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and you taught really well, uh, maybe not so much about it, but how just on that telepathy thing how Jimmy Greenoff used to just make himself make your game easy he used to say as a centre half because he was he seemed to be always there for a yeah. ball kind of thing George Easton Alan Hudson you know if I got it and I wanted a short pass bump you got at first George Easton then Alan Hudson who were there wanting the ball in space how they managed to get in space I don't know but they worked hard at it if I'd knocked it long, Jimmy would be bringing it down on his chest, and I'm thinking, he made that look a good ball. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah, yeah. You smashed it. I've just smashed yeah. it up the field. Yeah. And he's brought it he's brought, yeah, yeah. So 
Yeah, I would work with Jimmy and he, he would know when I was coming, when I was going to play that. You know, you work with the players around you. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't a good a passer of the ball as George Eastham or Alan Hudson, so if I had the opportunity, give it to them in space and they go and create. But I think that brings us back, Dennis, to the, again, what we're talking about as being a having a life or, or the the um, the blessing of having a life as a player in football, if I can use that word, you have to know what you're good at and do a job for a team, for a manager. And, you know, I think, I'm sure you'll admit that you fit into a mould. You knew what you were good at. You knew what your strengths were. Yeah. And you didn't try and be, you know, something that you weren't. You, you made the best of everything you had. And I think that's what players... Of, of, it's a lesson isn't it that yeah I mean I, I, I was very good defensively I read the game well I could I could pass from A to B so that, mm. yeah, that was I was very good in the air I was reasonably quick for, for a centre back mm. I was a good athlete as a kid mm. so you put all those together but what made me what I was was basically what was going on in between my ears because right. I never shut up I used to drive people daft alongside me but yeah. I never stopped up talking wanting people push in drop off and so I was organising making my job easier you know if I'm pulling midfield players organising yeah I was so I I understood the game I believed I did and was prepared to take decisions out on the field when to go for a ball, when to sit off, when to bring people back, when to push people out. You know, I was constantly making those decisions. Um, now I think about it, then I was just doing it because that's, you know, I'm looking and saying, that's my job. Yeah, we need, we're too deep here, let's, so I've been moving people out or, you know, they're having to give me a problem in midfield there, so I'd be on to say, make it a bit hard or whatever. To push on, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I would, Automatically, and from a child, I've always been prepared to make decisions. At nursery, I had a gang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, because I didn't, you know, I wanted to be made, the one making, I'm good at making decisions. I don't always make the right decisions, but I'm good yeah. at making decisions. Yes, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And just on, on that, and again, a testament to, to you as a, as a person, you talk about when when the club um, was playing in the in Division the Old Division 2 and stuff, and you know, you use, you use no uncertain terms how you describe the, the level of football at, at times, <laughs> and how you used to play against centre forwards. And you you actually say, Dennis, it was because you'd played at a high level against your Joe Jordans and your, you know, your Royals and, 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 and all the rest of it. It was easy, you, you found it easy, oh, and you were actually coaching <laughs> coaching opposition strikers in the game well, to try and help them out off, but I'm saying you should have held that or you should have I was, I was off you there you could have you could have turned and come at me yeah you, you do yeah, I mean I'm say I do talk but it's you you're forever looking but I I was bored yeah yeah yeah. I wasn't getting tested as far as I was concerned on people making runs off yeah. me, clever runs off me. And you know, it was fairly ball up, bring it down, play it back, go, oh, no, not again. 
And it was very repetitive. But that's what they've been coached. Because coaching had come in. But I was used to people same with Jimmy Green, obviously, Helen Hudson, George Easton. Most of my coaching when I went into management was based on George Easton. Right. Yeah, because he his use of space and his use of opening his body and playing things first time was magnificent. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, but nobody talks about George. But then you look at his record and think, well, yeah, yeah. he must have been a good player to have a record. A- absolutely, record. yeah, yeah, a- absolutely. But he, he doesn't get raved about, but he's... Yeah. Players as a midfield player, it was a, it was a delight for for me as a centre back. Once I picked the ball up, it was always in space for me to give it to him. Yeah. But he never gave midfield players time on the ball to give me problems. He was yeah. around them, working them, keeping their heads down. So yeah, you know, little things like people don't think of George Easton as somebody closes no. people down. No, but he did, he did. And, yeah. and I remember all that. And, you know, I would pick out what I think were the good bits out of each player and what they mm. did well. Mm. I mean, most most of my fullbacks in teams, I am more than likely like a pedic and a marsh. People basically wingers bombing forward, you know, with pace yeah. and yeah. cross balls. Yeah. Because I, I knew and understood then I could pass that on to the teams I had. And yeah. So I would expect my fullbacks at the teams I went to to be getting forward to yeah. getting crosses yeah, yeah. and getting shots and yeah absolutely absolutely I mean you, we'll, we'll perhaps go on to your, to your management bit in a, in a, in a minute um, before we leave you playing Dennis and, and this is this podcast does you know we've got listeners who are in different countries around the world so you know they won't all be kind of thinking Stoke City the greatest club in the world but um, that time we were not bad. Absolutely, Dennis. And um, you know, you talk about the obviously the story of things going going wrong with the the storms and all that in '76. But the good years for the club, um, you know, in the what the '70s, the early '70s, that you know when you when you were playing regularly, um, you talk about it in your book, Dennis, with such meaning that I think the lesson for me for players is look. You know, you're not just talking about it. Well, it was great because we won the cup. You're talking about it at another level. It, it has like this gut, gut meaning for you that actually, it goes far beyond just winning, winning a cup. And, and I think that's the lesson for, for for players in there: the meaning of, of, of success. Whether you won the cup or not, it, it, it's the meaning behind it with the area, the, the, your friends, your family, and, and your colleagues. That was incredible. That yeah, when we won the cup, I mean, everybody wanted to be your friend and your mate, and you know, wanted tickets for the final. Yeah, <laughs> and couldn't yeah. get. But you know, I, it it also you're part of the community. Yeah. But whenever I've been in management, I want to be part of the community. I, I've always moved and lived in the area when I've managed, because mm. I believe that. If I'm working for somebody, I'm not working just for a football club. A football club's more than just the building there where people turn up on a Saturday. It's a community mm. and the people within that. So you're working with them and you want to be part of them and you want to... I want to be able to go down the local pub and find out what an idiot they thought I was because I played in on them. And I would listen to that and think, no, they're not right there and get on. Or hey, they might have a point there. Point there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that you can't close your mind 
to to anybody with views. Yeah, yeah. I, I want people to express the views. I then take it all in and decide what What's, I consider is the right, uh, yeah. whether I am or not. But that is finally my decision. But I will listen to anybody. Yeah, yeah. To to make a point, and I think it's important that you yeah. listen to people. And all my assistants were people who weren't nodding dogs. They, they had an opinion. They yeah. had an opinion. Mm. And sometimes they were right. Sometimes, most of the times, in my opinion, they were wrong. But yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, we, you'd, you'd, we yeah. got a working relationship. They didn't think that they, if they got a, something they disagreed with, they just hmm. had to be quiet. They tell me, yeah, they tell and you. they know that I would take it on board, discuss it with them, and then go, yeah, you've got a point there, we'll sort that. Or, no, I still think I'm right on that. Mm. So, but I would make that decision. Mm. And, and I think that's part of being a manager. You, you've got to be prepared to put your neck on the line. Mm. Yeah, Absolutely. That's your decision. So just before we go on to your management stuff, Dennis, because there's, there's so much richness there, you came to a a point in your career as every player will when your beloved club didn't want you anymore yep. and you talk about that in your book as well and, and it's a poignant moment and what was that like for you because it's not like somebody who's come from another land and played for two years and gone this is your city this is your life because you gave up opportunities to go and play for other clubs when you were a kid you gave them up when you were a player yourself so and then all of a sudden the, the reality is, Dennis, you're not wanted anymore. The reality is, you get older, you get injuries. I mean, injuries were my major problem. Mm. I mean, my knees and, and handles were shot. And, you know, was that because I, w I was silly? If, if you look back, it's stupid. I would take my leg out to plaster and have an injection to play a game. You know, I mean, it's absolutely it's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and it wouldn't be allowed now. But that was my decision again. I'd sit down with the doc and say, well, what do you think? And he'd go, well, if we put this and we do that. Or you, you get play. dropped and off I, with a bad back and then decide to play 15 minutes before kickoff, yeah, yeah when you can't stand up, yeah. Can't stand up. <laughs> and yeah, I'm a suffering for it. Yes, it wouldn't happen now. Uh, but when you think back, that was, again, I was making that decision that, because I would talk to the doctor. I mean, when I think about it, uh, yeah, Dr. Crow, had been taking legs off 10 years before, in it? You know, yeah. 15, 20 years before, in the Second World War without any anaesthetic. So we weren't going to have a lot of sympathy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. For somebody with, with a cut or a broken leg or something, broken bones. I had broken toes and we just strapped it to the next one and carry on. Absolutely. So there we have the stalwart Dennis Smith talking about his playing career and how to be a player and what it takes and as with so many of our guests there are so many lessons in there and I hope some of them resonate with you but take note of Dennis's decision making ability even as a young person it aligns with Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich who Napoleon Hill talked about the power of decision making Dennis decided he was going to give it everything to be a footballer and organised his own education towards it. He had a desire, a strong, strong desire, so much so that he was prepared to take a pay cut to do what he wanted to do. 
he demonstrates enormous self-belief even when others didn't believe in him and he talks about adversity that he wasn't offered a contract straight away and when he did get a contract and broke into the first team he had a disastrous start and was almost in tears that is adversity and he also talks about the fact that he had to work at his game and develop relationships with other players to make sure that his defending was where it, where it should be so there's lessons galore in Dennis Smith as a player so I hope you find something in there and I hope something resonates with you and helps you move on in your own career catch you later bye bye Leader Manager Coach podcast is available via the Leader Manager Coach app. Download it now to access the rich resource of unique, insightful and educational material to help you on your own journey in football, sport and life. Leader Manager Coach. For the game. For life. Available now on Google Play and Apple App Store.